Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior life. I'm with Dr. Jim Polo talking about some of the concerns that we hear, especially from our listeners. One of the questions that I had recently was from June, who talked about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. She said, I only wish I'd had this diagnosis when I was seven years old so that I could have understood why I felt so differently than my peers. Could you talk about what ADHD is and how it might be different in adults than children? Dr. Polo, it's such a good question, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really is. So first of all, I think it's important to mention there has been lots of controversy over many years just about ADHD in general. And Keep in mind that it is a disorder that's complex. And as we've learned more over time through research, we've been better able to understand really all the things that are associated with it. And I guess the reason why I mentioned that is because, you know, ADHD is a condition that's got mental components to it. It's got behavioral components to it. There's a neurodevelopmental component to it. So we actually have a lot of understanding behind it in terms of what it is and in terms of what it creates for an individual. And also we have a lot of good information on ways to address it and treat it, but it still remains uh, for many folks controversial. Now, the, the one question that I, that I think was embedded in that early comment it is a disorder that uh, is most common in children. You know, about five to seven percent of kids will probably experience some form of ADHD. And, and the reason why I say some form is because it, it's a spectrum type disorder. You can have mild symptoms, moderate, or you can even have severe symptoms. And of the children that do end up having ADHD, it's it's estimated uh, that roughly. 30 to 50% of those will carry that diagnosis with them into adulthood. Oh, wow. You said that you know some things about the behavioral changes that it creates, the neurological changes that it creates. So could you give me an idea on the spectrum, what would you see in a child who was expressing ADHD? So first of all, uh, it's important to remember that the human brain develops after birth and continues to develop for about 20 years. So, you know, the human brain modulates everything, you know, relative to how we, we function. And cognitive functioning is part of that. Executive functioning is your ability to pay attention, your ability to focus, concentrate. It's your ability to screen out distractions. It's the ability to regulate your behavior. There's a lot of things that come to play in terms of how we learn to process information and put it into order. And a lot of that relates to working memory. Mm. So the reason why I phrase it that way is that children that have ADHD frequently have symptoms that become problematic, but the problem is that they're also partly normal within certain variances from a developmental perspective. Mm. So, so for example, kids can have difficulty focusing, paying attention. Uh, they will get distracted easily. Uh, they overlook details of little things. They'll start something, but not finish it. Mm. They struggle to stay on task for something that might be complex. Uh, they're easily distracted. They lose things. So all of these types of symptoms by themselves individually are really in all of us. All kids experience these symptoms at one time or another because it's just part of growing and developing. Mm -hmm. When you begin to see them 
together and you begin to see that they persist and they begin creating challenges, that's when you begin to say, hmm, is it possible that this young child is, is having some difficulties with attention deficit? Now, keep in mind that, you know, we've reclassified the disorder to include the hyperactive components. Right. So there's a lot of physical type components that, that come along. Sometimes kids will have those in combination with the, you know, inattentive type symptoms. Sometimes they will not. Okay. Fidgeting, constant motion, in adults, that's more of an inner restlessness. But I mean, there's a physical component to some of these kids that just need to be moving. They they will sometimes run around inappropriately. They, they can also do this in a setting that doesn't make sense. Like a child that just gets up in the middle of a classroom and is kind of moving around is seen as being disruptive, but that may be partly this hyperactivity that they themselves don't have yet the maturity or the ability to control. Kids will often answer questions before the questions are finished. They will finish other people's sentences for them. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll interrupt because they're already getting ahead, so to speak. So there's a motor component uh, that can come into play as well too. You know, what's fascinating to me is one of the most common ways that I heard ADHD talked about was in parent groups where people were afraid that ADHD was being over-diagnosed, over-prescribed, that there was a way that schools used it to control energetic kids when in reality, there was a lot of criticism that those children maybe didn't need it. So I guess my question is, are you at all concerned about an over-diagnosis of ADHD? I do get concerned that people are misdiagnosed and, and by default, we may jump to a diagnosis quickly. There are some symptoms that are just part of growing and developing. I mean, every child needs to learn how to share a toy. Every child needs to learn how to wait their turn. Mm -hmm. And some kids are going to, you know, learn those skills a little bit quicker than others. So jumping to a conclusion on any one of these symptoms that a child has ADHD can be a mistake. Yeah. Here's the other challenge. There are a lot of behavioral components that often coexist and come along with ADHD, and particularly in young kids, young kids that have been exposed to trauma or young kids that have been exposed to abuse, sometimes they will display some of those behavioral symptoms that mimic or look like they may be part of ADHD when in fact they're not. They're, they're part of trauma and they're part of an environment that they've unfortunately been within. You know, it doesn't appear you know, I have to be careful how I, how, how I say this because I want our listeners to, to really understand this. Parenting doesn't create ADHD. It's not like bad parenting creates ADHD, but there are some parenting approaches that can create emotional challenges for kids whereby their behavior then begins to look like ADHD. And the other challenge is that there are kids that do have ADHD whose parents have difficulty dealing with that. It's very hard sometimes to manage a four-year-old, for example, that's running all over the place and they're full of energy and they keep talking and you're trying to clean the house and they're messing everything up right behind you. So patience as a parent can play a big role in any child that's learning, but obviously in an ADHD child, uh, parents that are not aware that some of the behavior of a child is, is not entirely within their own control can make that an emotional challenge, particularly if you're you know, expressing emotion toward a child um, when it's just 
part of the way they are, so to speak. And so how often is behavior modification used before psychiatrists or school nurses will jump to Ritalin? Yeah, so, so that's a great question. So first of all, remember that there are many ways to approach helping a child develop before yeah. we even get to the idea of treatment specifically for ADHD. Teaching children skills it is very important, regardless of whether they do or don't have ADHD. I mean, you have to teach a child, hey, you have to wait your turn, you raise your hand, and that's how you get recognized. So that's, that's something you have to teach a child. They don't know intuitively that you wait your turn and you raise your hand. So skill teaching is really important. Behavior modification is about how do you approach changing somebody's behavior using a kind of a reward system, usually to incentivize the kind of behavior that you really want. So for example, you know, a child that has difficulty interrupting, you know, maybe behavior modification is about providing a reward for the period of time that they can wait their turn to speak. Okay. So behavior modification can be very helpful, particularly in young kids where you can't talk with them in a way that they would understand what you're trying to do. Yeah. In kids that are a little bit older, cognitive behavioral therapy, skills training, all of those kinds of therapies can be very, very helpful. And neurofeedback is another element or another area of treatment that can also sometimes be helpful in many kids. Uh, obviously, the area of treatment that becomes you know, concerning is the use of medication. Yeah. And that's where a lot of folks have more questions or more concerns because the medications that traditionally are used in and of themselves have to be used carefully because they too can cause some problems. So let's talk about Ritalin. What is its function? What is, what is it doing to help the brain settle and focus? Yeah, yeah. From a causality perspective, we really do believe that there appears to be dysfunction of neurotransmitters at the cellular level, the transmission of messages within the brain. The two systems that are probably the most prominent ones are the dopamine system and the norepinephrine system. Ritalin and amphetamines are stimulants, and these are medications that actually increase dopamine activity to some degree, and they help create a sense of focus. They help an individual kind of devote their attention to whatever it is that they're trying to focus on. And it also allows and kind of promotes this uh, ability to screen out uh, extraneous stimuli so that they can be on task. You know, Ritalin, uh, methylphenidate is the medication, uh, one of the medications, probably the preferred medication that appears to be helpful in, in children. And the challenge, of course, is, you know, stimulants in and of themselves can cause problems, uh, you know, in young kids, uh, there's some evidence to show that they can affect growth. And of course, yeah. there's always the issues of dependence. And you have to balance uh, how you approach treatment in general. Most medical professionals that are authorities in this arena will say that the risks of not treating ADHD far outweigh the risks of appropriate treatment to include medication so that I wouldn't withhold medication in a child where I thought it would be helpful to them. And Dr. Polo, that seems to suggest that the functioning of the neurotransmitters is actually causing the child some distress, that they recognize in themselves an inability to be like other students, as June 
as June. That is a great point. And I'll tell you why, you know, I, I practiced for many years where I saw a lot of young children Yeah. and there's no question that they will recognize they're having a difficulty mm-hmm. and they can't necessarily tie it specifically to, I can't concentrate or they won't tell you at the age of six, I'm having difficulty focusing. Those aren't their words. Okay. But they know they're having a challenge. And the problem is in a school setting or in a social setting, those challenges often lead to negative feedback yeah. and that begins to hurt them emotionally. The first grader who has difficulties staying in his seat that interrupts the teacher eventually becomes labeled the class clown yeah. and potentially gets made fun of by other kids. And that process is sometimes more harmful to the child than the actual inattention, particularly if it's a kid. And I had this so many times, bright child, you know, third grade level math, fourth grade level reading, uh, knows everything. Yeah. But socially he is a little bit of an outcast and made fun of because he's just goofy in class. Yeah. And that can create a, a behavioral challenge in a social setting. Sometimes kids with ADHD are kind of rejected by others. You know, kids are very sensitive. They, they want to be part of the group. They don't want to stick out. And so oftentimes in a social setting, a a child can find that the symptoms of ADHD is making them feel alone or different. And they won't necessarily know that it's quote ADHD. I mean, a child's not going to come to you and say, well, I'm having difficulty socializing because I have attention problems. They will simply say, people don't like me and I don't know why. I want to move to June's question in particular, because it does seem that ADHD in adults is more frequently talked about now as a diagnosis that people are going back and saying, could this have been what I was dealing with all along and actually getting the diagnosis as adults is the method for diagnosing different in adults than it is in children. Uh, no, it is not. The, wow. the, the, the symptoms are the same. What's critical about adults is you have to establish that the symptoms are actually present and began between the ages of six and 12. ADHD untreated forces individuals to either adapt or compensate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I give you a simple example. I, I used to have adolescents that would come to me that say, I can't sit still. I can't sit down and focus. And I would say, okay, what are some things that you could do that would help you compensate? Well, um, I'm pretty good for the first 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then I start losing it. Okay. Well, what if you were to study and focus for 15 minutes and take a five minute break? Mm-hmm. And then after that break, you come back and do it again for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and so forth. And here's what that child is essentially really doing. They're learning to compensate for something that they're identifying is a problem in front of them without letting the problem get in, in the way of what they want to do. Hey, I want to study this topic and yeah. still get a good grade Yeah. versus the child that can sit down for an hour straight and read the whole thing. Okay. Good for that kid. That doesn't mean that you're less than, it just means you have to accommodate. So the reason why I share this with you is ADHD symptomatically has been around for generations. It's been around for, it's been described in literature for couple hundred years. We didn't call it that though. In fact, in the early 1900s, we call it minimal brain dysfunction. We then later called it hyperkinetic reaction of children. But the issue is that everybody learns to some degree to compensate for whatever challenges they themselves have. Some folks are able to learn and compensate well enough such that it doesn't really impact them from from an adult perspective. Mm -hmm. 
there are some that despite that, they have significant difficulties. And in fact, when it comes to the hyperkinetic individuals, you know, we used to talk about the fact that these folks would gravitate towards jobs that involved lots of movement. Uh, they didn't tend to be actuaries sitting down at a desk or a computer looking at spreadsheets because yeah. they can't do that for more than yeah. 15 minutes. They uh -huh. ended up being game preserve or wildlife people yeah. that are out and about because yeah. that kind of allows them to function and still not have difficulties. So we all compensate. And what I usually try to encourage with parents is let's help your child learn skills. We'll provide whatever treatment is going to help so that we minimize uh, any academic failure and so that we maximize their ability to socialize and be with other kids so they don't have the, the emotional components that can come with feeling different. And later on, we'll see how well they do and decide, you know, do they need more? Okay. And I had many kids that went off to college that did fine without medication. I had some patients that went off to college that stayed on medication. And I've had adults you know, successful in jobs where medication has made the difference of helping them to be able to focus. You know, if you think about it as a, as a brain dysfunction, as we age, our cognitive function declines. And so what might have been something you could work with or you could work around when you get older might get to the point where you just simply cannot focus. Is that the reason people come for help when they're adults? Is that they say, this is getting worse, not better? Yeah. So that's a very complex question. So, so first of all, remember the brain is developing in our first 20 yeah. years of life. And the reason why that's important is because cognitive skills do have an impact on improving brain function. Yeah. Um, there are some studies that also demonstrate that medication over time, particularly if the medication is, is helping the individual can actually improve brain function and decrease dysfunction. Now, when it comes to the brain in terms of just its natural decline from a cognitive perspective re related to age, that generally doesn't occur for decades. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so that's not, that's not typical years. in a 30 year old. So, oh, so if I have a 30 year old that's having challenges from a focusing perspective, I'm not thinking at all dementia. I'm got thinking, it. oh my gosh, maybe this is an individual that had some uh, difficulties in, in the past and they're just now kind of showing themselves. So fascinating. Um, but you do see like a lot of kids when they get in college and they're having to cram for finals, they will buy Ritalin on the black market to be able yes. to focus. Yes. So even if you don't have a diagnosis, Ritalin can act the same in your brain? So yes and no. Keep in mind that everyone is slightly different. There's some. There's actually a couple of points that, that you raised. I'm just going to mention them. Please tear them apart. <laughs> um, uh, one of the reasons why sometimes kids that go off to college that had ADHD or mild ADHD or whatever, and they suddenly fall apart is because remember when, when you go off to college, you, you lose a lot of that structure. You don't have somebody telling you to go to bed. You don't have somebody telling you you have to go to school. You have to rely on modulating, controlling your own behavior. Yeah. And you have to now also deal with a far more complex world classes all over campus, teachers that don't care whether you show up or not, they don't take attendance, they just give you a, an F if you're not there, whatever. And so sometimes kids that were very successful in high school, all of a sudden they're having significant difficulties. Yeah. And it's actually because they're now in an environment where they have to exert a lot more self-control. 
that's one of the reasons why uh, I worry about kids that have symptoms of ADHD when they make those transitions into an environment where that requires a lot more self-regulation, self-control. And when it comes to Ritalin, to, to your question, Ritalin is a stimulant, okay? Mm-hmm. And in any individual, if you give them a stimulant, it's going to do what all stimulants do, which is it creates a lot of focused energy. It creates energy. You can stay awake. Uh, you feel like you're on top of the world. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why Ritalin gets abused in college is because kids will use it to pull those all-nighters. Hey, you know, I, I spent the whole uh, week uh, partying and skipping class and I need to study now and I'm going to take Ritalin because I can stay up for, you know, 24 hours straight study and get an A. And, and unfortunately for some kids, it actually works. <laughs> and so consequently they do it again, but it is a stimulant. And as all stimulants, it runs the risk of creating some challenges. You know, uh, obviously if you take too much of a stimulant, you can become psychotic, you can become yeah. manic. So stimulants are, are, are not by any means a, a medication that should be abused. But the reason why kids use them in college is usually to be able to stay awake, focus, and somehow get something out of it. I want to just ask you a philosophical question. Probably most of the comedians, entertainers, people I know who are wildly sort of energetic in front of people said, if I had, if ADHD had been around when I was a kid, I would have been diagnosed and it would have changed the outcome of who I am. Do you agree or disagree with that? Would the modification that medicine makes or treatment makes on them might have taken them away from these very active, energetic fields. I actually kind of agree, and I'll tell you why. Remember that we all adapt in a way that gets our needs met. Mm -hmm. One of the components that can be prominent for ADHD is impulsivity, kind of this lack of social control in, in such a way that you're impulsive and goofy. Now, There are some people that can take that and use it to their advantage. If you're the kind of individual that is very creative and has got just a lot of energy and you can engage in, in a way that is endearing to other folks, despite having a deficit of focusing and concentration, you may be able to kind of use that to your advantage. I'm not implying that we should not treat people for ADHD because we're going to take away creative people. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that there are some folks that likely do have elements of the way their brain functions where they're able to adapt and still use it to their advantage. And this is very similar to the concept of folks that have bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. that are highly artistic and they go through periods of phenomenal productivity. And unfortunately, they sometimes then go through periods where they're not so productive. When you speed the brain up, all kinds of things start to happen. Probably the most famous story of, of somebody that you know was very quick thinking and very comedic and so forth that likely had uh, bipolar was Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. You know, incredible comedian. Uh, he was just physically funny. He was yeah. verbally funny. He was smart. He was quick. I'm not implying he had ADHD, but his mind moved very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And ADHD is similar in the sense that the mind is moving kind of in its own way without your ability to harness that. And so in that regard, 
sometimes these, these two disorders actually coexist and can sometimes be problematic in that way. I think one of the most fascinating parts of your job is that when you meet an individual who is so expansive, who is so creative, seems to have like that bandwidth that is just limitless, how much do you treat and how much do you leave alone? That must, that's just a fascinating conundrum as I see uh, it. Absolutely. You know, I will tell you one thing that uh, I'll share a story with you that, that helped me uh, uh, in, in the 90s. Uh, you may recall in the 90s is when, you know, computers really started to get common and yeah. every home had a computer and games and so forth. And so I'd, parents would come and say, my child has ADHD. Well, why do you think your child has ADHD? Well, you know, they got uh, two Fs this semester. I said, oh, okay. And what were those in? Well, math and reading. And, and he just can't pay attention. He can't focus. Little Johnny would come in and say, hey, Johnny, what's your favorite uh, what's your favorite uh, video game? Oh, I love Mario Brothers. Oh, really? How long can you play Mario Brothers? Oh, I can play for two hours. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, all right, Mario Brothers is a very complex game. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you can focus and pay attention to Mario Brothers, yeah. I'm having difficulty understanding why you can't focus and pay attention to math. Well, yeah. number one, I don't like math. I like Mario Brothers. And number two, I'm spending so much time playing Mario Brothers, I'm not studying math. Right. So, so the, the reason why I point that out is that we all have selective desires in terms of what we want to pay attention to. Yeah. So I worry about the kids that would come in and say, oh, I don't like video games. I can't follow a video game. I can't pay attention to a video game. That's a child that really is now struggling. And, and so to some degree, you know, technology has become very complex, requires a lot of attention, concentration, it requires a lot of memory. And I think that's the other reason why sometimes we're seeing more and more of this because life is just more complex and requires our brains to really function at a higher level. Dr. Polo, I have learned so much about ADHD today. And I know if you have any more questions or want us to do a follow-up, please just send them just as June did. We are now on every single podcast platform and we would love for you to give us a review. Thanks again for listening. And Dr. Polo, it's always a great pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you.